Kim, and we are two paranormal investigators who delve into the depths of the famous and not-so-famous cases of Moida, ghosts, legends, and lore with a healthy dose of debunking. 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 <laughs> no bunking for any of us. No, nope, uh, the anti-bunk. The anti-bunk. We survived the heat here in Seattle. Barely. I, I almost Barely. turned into a ghost. I can't tell if I should talk about it or not, but I mean, my neighbor didn't. Oh no, that's true. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. It's so no, it was sad. awful. It was awful. I, I, um, I, I stepped out of my apartment, and my neighbor was being taken out in a body bag, and my uh, my friend was picking up a dress, which is oh, why no. why I was leaving. And I got down, and she was like, "The medical examiner's van, you know, it's in front of my apartment building." And she was like, "What did you do?" And I was like, <laughs> "Um." Um, and she's like, oh, did I just make a really bad joke? I was like, yeah. oh, no. To be fair, Kim, though, like, look at what you talk about all the time. I, yeah, I know. No, I mean, it's again, it's it's legit. Like the amount of people who send me, you probably run into this, too. Like my dad emails me like I found this article about serial killers. I thought oh, of you. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, like the and or the same meme over and over that has something to do with ghosts or dead people or boobies. Yeah. Um, boobies. That was the best one. I really want to get that pin that I found with the boobies. <gasps> yes. I'm sure a lot of our listeners can empathize with this if you are also into spooky things. Uh, how often you probably become like the 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 giver of all things in any way weird. Oh yeah. I'm the resident weird one at my job, yeah. <laughs> in my family, mm-hmm. uh, generally in public in the building. Like in the building, mm-hmm. Ter- Terrence and I are, are the resident ghouls, if you will. But like uh, lovingly, like with oh love. yeah, people have affection for us and our weirdness. But it's a it's a thing. Really right? comes out around Halloween too. Oh yeah. <laughs> Well, even like, you know, I have, I have acting students who are like, Miss Kim hunts ghosts. Um, that's what they sound like when they say that. Too. That sounds like a spooky child. And most of them are. That's fair. Um, this is the best segue ever. I'm really excited about this week's topic, Gabby. Oh, are we talking about spooky children? We're, oh, we're not. Aww, but we, man. we actually, we should. That's something we haven't really covered enough of, I feel like. I've got we a couple. We need to talk in- about more spooky babies. I have a, I have a couple uh, I have a couple options for that, but no. Okay, um, okay. Well, no, this is one that's been on my list for a while, though. Uh, I started talking about it. I don't even know when, but we we've talked about this before. Um, I also sort of felt like it was time we did another segment on a killer animal. Ooh, you love a killer animal. I do. It's nice to mix it up a little bit, and and I'm not gonna lie, like Gustav was a good time. I I kind of I kind of heart Gustav. Um, and here's the thing: some of you might not know about me. Uh oh, I'm an unapologetic fan of sharks. I'm like, also not surprised. I love them. No, they're awesome though. Sharks are awesome. They're pretty I love badass. Sh- they're pretty badass, right? And I love shark movies. Uh, shark Week, Shark Every, you know, just I love the weird sharks. Da-dum. <laughs> Dude, but Jaws, man. Jaws is a personal da-dum. favorite of mine. That's a great movie. It is a great movie. There is even talk that the string of incidents we're going to be talking about, it was rumored to have inspired the author of the novel Jaws, Peter Benchley. Oh, really? 
It's something that gets thrown out there. Benchley denies it, but this case is referenced in Jaws. Hmm. Today we're going to be talking about the New Jersey shark attacks of 1916. So you did take us to the Jersey Shore. I did take you to the Jersey Shore. Be on the lookout for wild snookies. Uh-oh, is that it's what you're terrifying. calling your sharks now? Oh my God, no, I wouldn't do that to the sharks. I like them too much. <laughs> oh no. Uh, I do want to say before we dive into the story, like Pun again, intended. Pun intended, yes. Deep dive. I Again, I love sharks. I want to protect sharks. We want to protect sharks. Um, sharks attacking humans is extremely rare and usually when it does happen it's under a very specific set of circumstances this event specifically it changed the way americans looked at our toothy cuddly fish friends toothy cuddly fish friends i've they never are. heard they of are. them referred to as that uh it gave them a really undeserved bad rap like they look scary they are wild animals, but That's they are true. not vicious, bloodthirsty man-eaters regularly. Like, that is, not a, that is not a thing they are generally... Those are not their actions for the most part. Sure. So please, hug a shark today. That's my PSA. And you rhymed. And Look I at rhymed. you. Uh, it's the summer of 1916. Hell of a time. There's a lot of stuff happening in 1916. Uh, World War I is happening in Europe. U.S. has not jumped in yet, but it's still making news. Um, summer on the East Coast is hot. Totally. Not, quite, not quite Seattle from a couple weeks ago. Hot, not but not like, quite 110 degrees. Not quite degrees. 910, no. Uh, but it's warm, right? New York City is also in the midst of a lovely polio epidemic. Lovely. I've never heard those two words together. A hey, lovely polio. Polio. Uh, Jersey Shore is not yet known as being a place people go to gym tan laundry, but it is. <laughs> do you like that dated reference, that dated humor? <laughs> no, the only certain people are going to get it, but I'll appreciate the people that do. The people that do will, and the rest of you... Um, you need to learn your cultural heritage, which is Jersey Shore. <clears throat> wow. Uh, but you know, people were going to the Jersey Shore to escape. Like, the whole idea of bathing in the ocean, this is still f- relatively new. Now, it is important to note at this time that the general attitude towards sharks was that they would not bite a living person. It was known they would feast on the flesh of someone who was dead. But generally... Uh, they didn't come in close to shore where you would get attacked by one. Like, that was really foreign. Sure. People did not actively fear a shark attack. But as I said, you also have people venturing into the ocean for recreational swimming in a way they have not done before. Saturday, July 1st of 1916, 105 years ago, uh, 25-year-old Charles Epting Van Sant. What a name. name. Right? He was traveling with his father and his two sisters from Philadelphia to Beach Haven, which was part of Long Beach Island in New Jersey, uh, to escape the hot weather. Like, again, anyone who who lives in the big city, I feel like, can kind of uh, feel us here. Like, summer in the city sucks. 
it's hot. In the city sucks. It's hot in a way, like, and I lived on the East Coast. Like, I was a New Yorker. It is hot in a way that's just gross. The pavement, the smell of trash, the rats, the roaches. And in Philly, like, again, it, it was like 90 degrees, and it's just not pleasant. Uh, and the, the Jersey Shore, the beach, it's like 78 degrees. It's very pleasant. You get that nice ocean air. It's no wonder people were attracted to that. Sure. So Charles, he's a businessman. He graduated from the University of Pennsylvania in 1914. He worked for the Falwell Brothers brokerage firm. Nice and proper. Very proper. Very proper. I don't know what that's like. He was described <laughs> as being of unusual promise with an exceptionally winning personality and charm of manner, which brought to him many friends and admirers. Most of his friends called him Charlie or Van. So his family gets to the beach. His sister is like, hey, let's go for a walk. And they do. Charles wades into the ocean. And he goes far enough out, it's about chest level, and he was swimming with this dog he made friends with. Oh, no, don't tell me the dog didn't make it. It's one step at a time, one step at a oh, time. Oh, no. So he's swimming out, but he gets ahead of the dog. Oh, good. And the dog hits a point where the dog's like, mm, I'm not really feeling this. Oh, yeah, I support that. And is going to swim back to the beach. And he's calling out to this dog, being like, oh, no, no, come on, buddy, come on. Let's keep swimming. No. But on the beach, people notice a dark object beyond the surf. Uh Uh-oh. And what looked like a black fin. Mm -hmm. Indeed. (laughs) It was a shark. Uh, and they're shouting at him, trying to warn him. But he's far enough out, he doesn't understand what they're saying. And he's still trying to call to his, you know, his friend, the dog. And then suddenly he lets out a loud yell and frantically swims towards the beach. Uh-oh. And the people on the beach then see a red pool <gasps> gathering around him. Uh-oh. Yeah, blood. And what's absolutely bonkers to me is the dark shape of the shark. Like, he was right there. He stayed with him, even as, as, as Charles is trying to get to shore. And in fact, those on the beach even said that the shark seemed to still have a grip on him. Oh now, w- right? Jeez. Witnesses put the size of the shark to be about nine feet in length and described it as being bluish-gray or black in color with a triangle dorsal fin. And as he got closer, the, the lifeguard went out to him to help him get to the shore. Once he's on the shore, they see that all the flesh on the back of his thigh has been stripped from Blech. his hip to his knee. Blech. The bone is exposed. He has a gash on his right leg. His femoral artery has been severed. Oh, bro, that's bad. That's bad news bears. That's bad news bears, because that means you are bleeding. That means you're bleeding, like, to death, right? Uh, Yeah, pretty much. Um, A medical student tries to help him. They take him to the office at the hotel there. It's too late. He was pronounced dead at 6.45 p.m. Oh, no. About two hours after the attack. And the official cause of death would be massive 
blood loss. Because this is also remembering, this is, you know, 1916. This is prior to a time when blood transfusions were super common. Sure. That became much more common practice post-World War I. Um, now, one of the things that nobody can really agree on, though, is what shark was responsible for this. Some thought it had been a blue shark. Uh, there was a sea captain on, on the beach who swore it was a Spanish shark, which what? I tried... Yeah, I tried to look that up. Um, it doesn't seem like it's an official type of shark, but what I think he was maybe referring to was maybe that was slang for what is a sand tiger shark. Oh, no. Those bad news bears. Those are bad news bears. There were, this was kind of bonkers. There was even those who, who swore it couldn't have been a shark. One of the theories was that it was a sea turtle. I'm sorry, What? A sea turtle, which apparently sea turtles can get a little feisty, and they have been known to snap at people, which, like, okay. Um, uh, <laughs> no, yeah, I have thoughts on this. I have thoughts. Uh, <laughs> let me politely scully for a moment. Um, sure. Sea turtles, yes, they have impressive jaws. They have kind of, like, beaks going on. They don't technically have teeth, though. Like, a sea turtle biting you, yep. Hella painful. Yeah, Nobody really wants that. No, take yeah, out, like half of your leg and kill it. It's you. gonna leave a real bad bruise. Maybe if it gets a hold of you just right, it could crush a bone or break a bone. I, I am just struggling to see how a sea turtle could tear the flesh of your leg like that. Yeah, that's a hard no. That's a hard no. I, I, I just, I can't. I can't. I, no. I cannot even fathom how that would happen. And I mean, if, if there's anyone out there who is some kind of marine biologist who wants to correct us on this, please, please feel free. Please do. Uh, but as far as I can tell, I do not see how a sea turtle, also sea turtles, and again, marine biologists, feel free to correct me on this, sea turtles... Do not have dorsal fins. I was going to say, does this sea turtle have one of those, like, floaty devices that's attached to his back that's a fake shark fin? Like, truly, I love all those dog life vests that have a shark fin on the top of them because it makes the dog look like it's a shark and it's very cute. I mean, it's adorable. I just picture that on a turtle and it just doesn't really do it for me, you know? So I did... You know me. I, I did my due diligence. I looked this up. The largest sea turtle is apparently the leatherback sea turtle, which Ooh. can be found around the New Jersey coast. Um, at their largest, though, they get to be about six to six and a half feet, which is oh my big. God, Don't get me wrong. Huge. Yeah, no, that's huge. No, I, I would not want to fight with a six and a half foot sea turtle in the back alley because let's face it, I'd be like, take my money. You win. Also... Why are you finding a six-foot turtle in a back alley? I'm just saying. I mean, how are you not finding sea turtles in a back alley? I don't... What's your <laughs> life, Gabby? What's your life? What's your life? My God, what's your life? Um, <laughs> someone took their goofy pills today. <laughs> so, yeah, but I mean, people are desperate to come up with an explanation for how this could have happened. And one of the things they actually blame was that dog. They think that... What? This dog, Charlie, is trying to lure out that the shark was attracted to the dog and grabbed Charlie instead. And for anyone still wondering, yes, the dog was fine. 
I keep. The dog I was lit. literally hesitant. No, I was like, okay, no. I need to know about the dog. I, I care I'm more letting about you know, animals. The dog was fine, everybody. The man died. The dog was fine. And then they want to blame the dog? How rude. Well, they, I mean, not directly blame the dog, but, but they think that the dog was what attracted the shark. The shark was like, oh, hey, lunch. And then when the dog got to shore, it was like, oh, my lunch went away. Oh, I guess this is second lunch. It's not quite as good, but I'm hungry, so I'll take it. Sure. Um, I don't know. I mean, again, this, it's 1916. Our knowledge of sharks in 1916 was not super awesome. That's true. And And the thing is, like, like, this is horrible. This is like his sister witnessed all of this. This is this is absolutely tragic. But at this point, it is a tragic and isolated incident. Sure. In fact, according to multiple sources, this was the first shark attack in the U.S. on record, which, let us be clear, I found records of earlier ones. <laughs> Love that. Well, because, I mean, of course there were. But, like, I'm thinking maybe this was the first official... Record of one or confirmed where the death certificate was like, yo, it was a shark bite uh, in those words. Exactly. Um, because it's also not like these guys could just Google, hey, who else has died from a shark bite? That's true. Google was not a thing yet at that time. Surprisingly, Google was not a thing yet. So um, it, it's not true. You can find a whole list of, of but it's it's a small list. It's not a huge list. And so this was not something people no one had a fear of going back in the water, right? I guess so. What's strange is this initial attack, it didn't attract a lot of attention. Hmm. Like there wasn't a whole lot mentioned in the papers. I, and it would be buried on like, you know, page 10. Most of what I found when I was looking through the old newspapers were little blurbs that said things like, you know, a man was attacked by a shark or other big fish. Or other big fish. Lol. Yeah, the or other big fish. It. I don't know why I found that as funny as I did, but I. I just had this like giant goldfish just gnawing in a guy's leg. Um. Yeah, that that's a good visual. It's a great visual. So, all right. Five days later, it's Thursday, July sixth of nineteen sixteen. We are now in Spring Lake, New Jersey, which is a little further north. This is a super fancy, or as my aunt would say, a super shishi resort. Ooh, shishi. She, she, 28 year old bellhop, Charles Bruder. And yes, this is now our second Charles in this episode. Hashtag everyone's name is Charles. That's my dad's name. Everyone and my brother. Charles. It's a lot of Charles. More Charles for everybody. Um, Too many. Charles Bruder and his friend who also worked at the hotel. Uh, they were going to spend their lunch break taking a dip in the ocean. In the, this is very important, in the employee section, because the employees had to stay in a different section of the water. They were not allowed to go over to where the guests were. <laughs> Lol. I know. Uh, but it was really hot that day, and it was not uncommon for them to, to cool off in the water during their shift. And, and Charles, Charles was really well-liked. He was known to be, like, one of the best bellboys, and he was a very good swimmer. He was described as, this was a direct quote from multiple people who knew him, as a fearless swimmer. Hmm. He would go further out than most people. Interesting. So at about 2.15 p.m. on this Thursday, he starts swimming out. And he'd gotten far. No one else is swimming out by him. And like before, people on the beach hear a noise. And they notice that there's red surrounding uh -oh. him in the water. Oh, no. 
And the part that I found the most disturbing is that apparently his screams were so loud. They were heard within the hotel, which is hundreds of feet away. In fact, the Washington Times wrote in the paper, Bruder's screams during the attack were so piercing that not only were the hundreds promenading the boardwalk in the afternoon startled, but the cries penetrated the interior of the big Essex and Sussex Hotel where Bruder was employed as a bellboy and the Monmouth Hotel the latter fully 500 feet from the beach. Oh, my God. And that's horrifying. That's utterly horrifying. Yeah. So the lifeguards, like, they see he's in distress. There's red around him. They take a lifeboat out. They get to him, but he's disappeared beneath the water. Oh, no. So they're, they're heading towards the blood. That's their marker for where he might be, is all of this blood in the water. And as they get there, he reappears, and the shark seems to be gone. So they pull him onto the boat. They note that he seemed to be very light for his size. Oh, was it because he was missing half of his body? As they pull him in, he gasps out. A shark bit me, bit my leg off. (gasps) And it was horrifying. Like, his right leg has been torn off below the knee. The remaining muscles are dangling down and most of the flesh on his right leg is gone. His left leg was missing the foot and part of the lower left leg bone. He had a deep circular gash above his left knee. He's rapidly losing blood. Now, he loses consciousness almost immediately after being pulled into the boat. He died minutes later of, this is no shock, extreme blood loss, right? Sure, sure. The shark itself was never seen. But for a shark to have the strength to bite off his legs, oof, it would have had to have been at least six feet long. That's now, insane. Ugh. This, this is a new, it's, yeah. This is a whole new thing because now you have two people in a matter of days and the story explodes. Two shark attacks less than a week. There's no precedence for this. It's front page news with really sensational headlines. Like I I found some pretty interesting ones. There was one that was like hundred sea shark eat bellboy's legs. (laughs) One newspaper got this was kind of awful. The Pittsburgh Press. It had a quote. It was allegedly from Bruder as he was being rowed back to shore. And allegedly, Bruder apparently started to monologue. Bruder said, Oh, no. He was a big gray fellow and as rough as sandpaper. I didn't see him until after he struck me the first time. He cut me here on the side, and his belly was so rough it bruised my face and arms. I thought he had gone on, but he only turned, came back, and snipped my leg off just below the knee. He yanked me clear under before he let go. I had hardly reached the surface when he came back at me again. That time, he hit me here on the side and shook me like a terrier shakes a rat. But he let go while I was calling, then suddenly struck me again. And that time took off the other leg. He's a big fellow and awfully hungry. Mm-mm, no, thank you. Yeah, no, but here's the thing. I have a lot of feelings about this. None of them are flattering to any of the newspaper men then. Because like, okay, one, the guy died like within 10 minutes of them getting him on the boat. He was yeah. suffering from, his legs were gone. 
His legs were gone. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no way this reporter spoke directly to him because he was dead. Right. It took him how long and, to die? <laughs> oh, minutes, minutes. He was unconscious there's almost no immediately way. and died before they got to shore. No, there's absolutely no way. And even if he did say those things, that level of detail, like nobody who was there would have remembered to be able to repeat it. And like, okay, I'm bleeding out. I'm going to use a bunch of metaphors and really specific language about how the shark attacked me. No, you're in shock. You're not really saying anything that's that coherent. No. But like, this is, this is such a great example of what is so hard about researching historic cases. Because this kind of journalism, it's in the paper. It should be fact, right? You would think, but I mean, you would, yeah. (laughs) That reminds me of today's reporting, you know. It's an unfortunate parallel, but it it makes it really hard if you're trying to suss out cold, hard facts about what happened to have something so grievously and grossly misreported. Yep. I would agree. So shark hunts start. Uh, There's a cry for precautions to be taken at the resorts, like nets to be put up to keep people safe. Within days, though... People kind of forgot. The outcry oh, no. dies back down. They go on with their lives. They return to the beaches. Of course they do. So let's jump ahead a little bit. Wednesday, July 12th. Matawan, New Jersey, which is about 30 miles from New York City. Okay. Almost one week later. Once again, hot, humid day. At about 11 a.m., a former sea captain named Thomas Cottrell... He takes a break from his bait and tackle shop, which is right near the mouth of Matawan Creek. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I need to take a quick sidebar. Um, Matawan Creek. It's a creek, right? Which means it's fresh water. Sure. Gabby, what kind of water is in the ocean? That would be salt water. Right. Salt water. This point is going to become really important later on when we are getting to identifying the shark. Matawan Creek is also miles away from the ocean. And it's an impressive sized creek, but it's, you know, it's still a creek. <laughs> so it's not salt water. It's not salt water. It's kind of shallow. Um, and compared to the ocean, it's, you know, a creek. So our good old ornery sea captain, he looks out, he sees something in the water. He knows what sharks look like. <laughs> he has experience. Sure. Yeah. He sees a giant shark. He describes it as being about eight feet. I guess that's not really a giant shark. That's a large shark. But still, it would be alarming. It's taller than me. Um, it's a big boy. It's a big boy. So he sees the fin clearly sticking out of the water, too. He's alarmed, as any normal human would be seeing an eight-foot shark in a creek. Yeah, that's weird. It's weird. So he's trying to warn people. He's like, there's a shark in the creek. And they're like, "Mm, okay, Jan. Sure, Jan. You're crazy. Sharks don't come in the creek. And one guy even said, I love this. This was a great quote. You have a better chance seeing an elephant cooling off down there than a shark. Lol. Lol. Um... And I mean, understandably, the captain's frustrated. He's like, listen, y'all, I know I occasionally like my rum. But no, seriously, there's a shark in the creek. Uh, So he gets in a boat. He, like, 
full on has this little tiny motorboat. He gets in his boat. He just starts busting down this creek, yelling at everyone, get out of the water. There is a shark in the creek. Dang. Well, it's it's a hot day in July. This is what people do, especially the, the kids. Kids go in the creek to cool off. In fact, 11-year-old Lester Stillwell, who worked at the He's local... He's not Stillwell anymore. Ooh. Uh, uh, uh. We're talking... Oh, no. It's a kid. It's a kid. <laughs> he worked at the oh, local no. basket factory. Uh, he was described as a hard worker. He also had epilepsy. He was known for having seizures. His friend, Albert O'Hara, his best friend, uh, was fishing in the creek. And Albert was able to get off work early. He asked his dad. He, he worked for his dad. And uh, he made all the baskets he needed to make. And he's like, Dad, I want to go down to the creek with my friends. And his dad was like, okay, go to the creek. So he finds Albert, who hadn't been catching any fish, which also, P.S., that's possibly a sign something's up. You're fishing in the creek. Oh, that's true, huh? There's nothing around. Why isn't there any fish yeah. around? Yeah. And so Albert's like, yeah, yeah, fish aren't biting. Let's let's go swimming. So they head down to the Wyckoff Dock, and they're just they're jumping into the creek. They start playing tag because they're kids, and that's what kids do in the water. It's about two p.m., and Albert feels something brush by him that has a rough texture. And Lester is floating on his back. And then Lester shrieks because a shark comes out of the water and grabs him. Oh, my God. And, like, these boys, they see this shark clearly. And they remember very clearly the white of its belly. And this shark is shaking Lester around, and then they just see blood. Oh, no. So the boys, they scramble out of the water. They're screaming. They're screaming for Lester. They're screaming for help. They go running down the path to try to get help. And the local tailor, Watson Stanley Fisher, who's 24 years old. Everybody called him Stanley, though. He's in a shop. The boys burst in, and they're like, a shark got Lester. It's about 2.30 p.m. now. And word's getting around something's going on. So all of these people just, they are at the creek. They are at the dock trying to find Lester. Lester's parents get word. They're at the dock trying to find their son. And Stanley, Stanley's known for being super helpful. He's known for being super kind. So, of course, even if he's like, mm, I don't know, there's a shark down there. But he's like, I want to go help this kid. Sure. So there's all these people at the creek. Men take rowboats in the creek. They're trying to find Lester. In fact, there's doubt that a shark, I mean, they're like, again, a shark in the creek, a shark. Mm. There's no way. And what they're thinking is that Lester probably had a seizure, which, again, is super sad, super tragic. But, like, this kid was known to have seizures. He had a seizure. It scared the boys. They overreacted. Because we're also at that point where too much time has passed. You know, it's 3.30 p.m. now. Where's Lester? Where's Lester? But, like, at this point, we are not dealing with... Nobody is thinking they are going to find a live child. If they have been under the water this long, yeah. you are looking at recovery, For right? Sure. Yeah. But 
but like his parents are there and, and they want to bring this boy home. They want to be able to give him to his parents. Um, they don't want to just leave him in the Creek. And so they're, they're using poles trying to, to stir up the, the body. And then a couple of the men, Stanley included dive into the Creek trying to see if they can find the body. Oh my God. But like this is, I mean, I, again, I don't know how many of you have seen creeks like this. It's they're not clear. The water is not clear in a creek like this. It's it's full of of dirt and debris and moss and peat and whatever. It's also there. In fact, some of them even were kind of like, hmm, the color of this water is weird, almost like it was tinged with blood. Oh, who knew? <laughs> who knew? So one of the men in the water, then he feels something rough move against him oh no and again he he made note of the fact that like whatever it was it actually left an abrasion on his skin stanley though stanley's like i am determined i'm gonna dive down one more time and see if i can find lester's body and now I want to, it's important to note at this point that the account we're getting, there's a lot of varying accounts about why we have some of this information, because some people say that Stanley was able to give part of an account of what happened and other people, it's eyewitnesses accounts, but there's a lot of disagreement about what exactly happened. Sure. But it seems like Stanley dove in and apparently, according to some witnesses who would later speak to Stanley, he sees the shark near the bottom with Lester's body and that the shark is feeding on Lester. Oh, no. And that Stanley tries to grab Lester and is actually able to get a hold of him and start pulling the body to the surface because there was even, there was multiple witnesses that said they saw Stanley with Lester's body. So the shark let the body go. But we don't know for sure. Eyewitnesses' accounts are are chronically misreported. People in the moment uh, they misremember things. It's 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 very very common, and and they're not to be blamed for it. It's just it's your adrenaline's pumping, and you think you're seeing things you're not seeing. We don't know if Stanley actually saw Lester. We don't know if Stanley got a hold of Lester, but what we do know is that within moments, this shark had forgotten about Lester, and now has Stanley. Oh, no. And Stanley apparently cries out, he's got me, the shark's got me. Yikes. So a few of the men, they had these poles, right, they were using to drag the water. They're hitting the shark, they're hitting it with oars, and the shark lets go of Stanley and swims off. They get Stanley onto the dock. His right leg is ripped open, the bone is exposed, he is bleeding everywhere. The wound was about 18 inches from below his hip to above his knee. And the doctor later noted about 10 pounds of flesh had been ripped from his leg. Holy crap. And like before, his femoral artery was severed. They tried to tie a tourniquet on his leg. Um, The nearest hospital is 30 miles away. Oh, jeez. Yeah. And the road, like trying to drive him, it would be too bumpy. So they put him on a train. And it would take two hours to get him to the hospital. He died from blood loss at 6.35 that evening. 
Oh, man. But it wasn't over. Michael and Joseph Dunn, Michael, age 14, Joseph, age 12, they wanted to visit their aunt in Cliffwood, New Jersey, uh, trying to beat the heat of Manhattan. So they took the train out for a day trip to visit her. They got into town and headed to a small dock, which is about 1.5 miles away from the sea, to meet a friend and take a dip in the water. It's a bit downstream from where Lester and Stanley were attacked, and it is about 4 p.m. at this point. Captain Cottrell, our ornery old sea captain, he's passing by. He sees these boys swimming in the water. He starts yelling at him, get out of the water. It really is like a scene out of Jaws. Get out of the water. There is a shark. The boys can't quite hear him. They actually think maybe they're in trouble because they're swimming somewhere they shouldn't. Mm. So they start swimming towards the docks. And before they can get there... 12-year-old Joseph Dunn is attacked by the shark. Now, his brother Michael and his friend, and this is miraculous to me, they formed a human chain to pull him out of the water. And, like, these are kids, and they do this, and they get him free, and they get him on the dock, and Captain Cottrell gets to the dock, and they put him in the boat. He's unconscious. He's bleeding from the leg, but he's still alive. And they get him to the hospital, He's in critical condition, but he's alive. And the physician would say the front and side portion of the boy's lower left leg was cut into ribbons from knee to ankle. The bones were not crushed and the main arteries in the calf of the leg were not cut. And this is why he was alive. Oh, dang. He'd be in the hospital for two months, but he would live and he would keep both of his legs. Joseph would later give his own account, and he'd said, I was about 10 feet from the dock ladder when I looked down and saw something dark. Suddenly I felt a tug, like a big pair of scissors pulling at my leg and bringing me under. I felt as if my leg had gone. I believed it would have swallowed me. So you have, in a matter of hours, three shark attacks by the same shark. That's insane. It's, it's unprecedented. And, and this is where I look at this and I'm like, I understand why people were frightened, but this is not normal. This is not normal behavior for a shark, Mm. but people are terrified and they're angry. So they go to the store and they buy dynamite. Oh my God. They start throwing, uh, they start throwing it into the Creek because they want to kill the shark. They offer a $100 reward, which is like $2,500 by today's standards. They're putting up nets to try to catch it. They're just firing guns into the water. You know, rational actions. Sure. But like the country, the country is up in arms. Even President Woodrow Wilson, he scheduled a cabinet meeting to address it. That's how much it was on people's consciousness. Jeez. And when you look at... The current fear of sharks, the history of the fear of sharks, you can trace all of it back to these attacks. But also the question is, what kind of shark does this? 
And a lot of what the experts think, they're like, well, this was what we call a rogue shark, a rogue animal. An animal that's acting in a way that's not typical. But they also know for a shark to have done this, you're looking at a shark of a certain size. Now, two days after the attack on July 14th, Lester's body would finally emerge a couple hundred yards from where he'd been attacked. Um, The report on the condition of his body included the following. The boy's left ankle was chewed off. His left thigh was mangled from hip to knee. His left abdominal region was ruptured and the intestines herniated and torn open. The intestines were nearly all torn out. Oh, my God. The right hip Right chest muscle, left shoulder as well as severely fleshy areas of the body were all eaten away, and the flesh between his right hip and thigh were mangled. His face was untouched. Oh, I'm so glad his face was untouched. Yeah. Yeah. It's open casket. There you go. Oof. Now, this same day, a man named Michael Schleiser. That's another name. Hashtag Kim's. Yeah, Kim's favorite names. Uh, He worked as an animal trainer for Barnum and Bailey. Oh. And he was also something of a taxidermist. He was going fishing in nearby Raritan Bay. This is very close to New York City. Uh, He put down what's called a dragnet in the water uh, in hopes of, like, catching fish to eat her dinner. Sure. When suddenly something goes into the net that's big enough, it's actually dragging the boat. Oh, no. Yeah, a large shark had swam into the net and was pulling the boat. Oof. Now, thankfully, luckily, I don't know what the right word is there, Michael grabbed a broken oar he had on the bottom of the boat, and he just starts just wailing on the shark, just hitting it over and over and over. And he beat it over the head until he killed it. Oh, damn. Yeah, right? He takes it back to shore to stuff as a trophy because, you know, that's what you do when you're a taxidermist, I guess. It's about seven and a half feet long. It is a juvenile great white. Now, he opens up its stomach. And what he finds are a few small pieces of human bone, uh, what was described then as a suspicious, fleshy material. Oh, no. The bone was theorized to be part of a shin bone, and what was said was probably of a child, and the other piece was possibly a rib bone, and the flesh was human. What's sad is that, so what was identified as the flesh was quickly discarded because I guess it was starting to smell. So we don't really have anything to look at. We don't have the evidence. 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 Um, or anything more concrete than the recounting of those who saw it to to validate the results. And that's not to say that it was not human flesh. It's just, it is unfortunate that there was nothing preserved in any manner for us to test later on. And what was really hard to figure out was whether or not what was found in the shark's stomach was from a recent victim or like a corpse the shark had come across. Uh, Others who examined the bones were of the opinion there was no way it could have been from a recent victim or a recent kill. And of course, because hashtag history, the bones were lost. So there's no way to do a DNA test on it to know for sure. I mean, again, presumably they were human, but whether or not they could have been any of the victims. Oh, man. And the stuffed shark has also been lost to time. 
That's so unfortunate. So was this our man-eater? Was this the shark that was attacking? It's possible. But in this process, hundreds of other sharks were slaughtered. Ugh. And here's where some of the debate starts, because there's a lot of people who believe that the shark responsible was not a great white shark. Many believe if the shark responsible wasn't the specific great white, uh, it was still a juvenile great white. What was it? And as the years have gone by, there's been debate as to whether or not it may have been even a different species of shark. So remember when we talked about what kind of water was in that creek? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Fresh water, right? Yeah, fresh water. So that right there is really good evidence to support another shark being the culprit because there is only one type of shark that can move freely between fresh water and salt water. And do we know what kind of shark that is? I don't, but I hope you're going to tell me. It's not the great white. It is the bull shark. Oh. But at this point in time, the bull sharks were not considered what we say, quote unquote, killer sharks. Now we know that bull sharks are not only incredibly dangerous, they're incredibly aggressive. In fact, some people consider them to be the most dangerous kind of shark because of their high levels of testosterone. They have the highest level of testosterone of any animal in their body. Oh, dang. Right? So bull sharks, they tend to get to be about 11 feet. They also have a white underbelly, which we remember all those eyewitnesses talked about the white underbelly. A lot of sharks have a white underbelly. They are even known to kill adult hippopotamuses. And we talked about this in our Gustav episode, right? Like that is remarkable. Hippopotamuses are humongous. And brutal. And brutal. And yet this 11 foot shark can take on a hippopotamus. That's wild. Bull sharks, too, so they're kind of like generic shark in appearance. We'll, we'll post some pictures of bull sharks to our social media, but like bull sharks are often mistaken for other sharks because they look so generically shark. A grown bull shark is significantly smaller than a full-grown great white shark. Full-grown great white sharks are between 20 to 25 feet generally. And bull sharks are more likely to be found in shallow water, creeks, rivers, Great whites generally prefer the deeper ocean. That's not to say they don't come closer to shore. But great whites aren't known to venture into inlets where their fresh water and the salt water mixes. However, and this is a check in favor of maybe it was a great white. When the attacks occurred, it was a full moon. Uh-oh. So you've got Madawan Creek, right? Yes. That feeds into... It feeds into the ocean. A full moon means a higher tide. So full moon means that it's turning into a werewolf, right? Sure. No, but no, what it means is that the tide is higher. So you have what, it's a freshwater creek, but it does get water from the ocean. So at a high tide, at a point where the tide is the highest, you have a creek that's going to be a whole lot saltier than normal. And a great white, in theory, could survive for a day or two in this water. So we can't completely discard them as a suspect. And you do have that shark that was caught. It is possible that was the shark that was attacking. Another shark that's put out there is the tiger shark. 
tiger sharks are more likely to go after multiple victims than bull sharks, which tend to just go after one at a time. Um, generally, though, it's the bull shark and the great white that people, the experts, tend to be debating between. And everybody kind of has their own opinion as to why they're right. And in the research I was doing, it was a lot of, I'm right because of X, Y, Z. But the other side being like, well, I'm right because of this case. Anyway, um, it, we don't know. And if you look at a lot of the older stories, at the end of the day, we won't know. We're, we're not going to have an answer to this. Uh, there's even those that speculate it wasn't one shark that we're looking at more than one shark that was that was attacking people. So it's over a hundred years later, we will probably not know. Since then, there has only been one fatal attack on the Jersey Shore. It happened in 1926. Ultimately, sharks are in far more danger from humans than humans are from sharks. That's fair. So again. Hug your local shark today. <laughs> but that is the story of the New Jersey shark attacks of 1916. Dang. Mic drop. Mic drop, man. Ooh, what do you think? Do you think, do you have an opinion on bull shark, great white shark, multiple sharks, who knows sharks? <laughs> I, I think that I like the concept of, you know, with the high tide, there's more salt water in the creek and that gives more probability but I think ultimately, if we're going to scully it and uh, fully go down that rabbit hole, um, we would need more evidence, evidence, evidence to, uh, evidence. you know, support that. So I don't know. I think anybody could uh, say what it is. But at the time, there wasn't a lot of evidence, evidence to support evidence. it. So. You know, and I'd, I'd love to hear from our listeners, too, as to their own theories, if, if they're familiar with the case, if they're familiar with sharks, even if they're not what they think um, there, there's so much more that can be looked at with this case. Uh, there's multiple books that that uh, I, I helped use as part of my research and um, 12 Days of Terror, which is a great book, Close to Shore, which is a great book. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that specials that have been done on it, and everybody has fairly strong opinions when they are the ones doing the research. So, uh, again, I would love to hear from what other people think. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Nice. I love it. Well, this brings us to... Creepy Critics Corner! Creepy Critics Corner! Kim, what you watching? Uh, a couple things. I did go to theaters to watch The Forever Purge. <gasps> we, yeah, that never, that never fails to delight me. Um, I gotta say, I hella enjoyed it. It was a good time. Uh, the Purge movies are so stinking silly. But it's also one of the few franchises I feel like has gotten progressively better as they've gone on. Mm -hmm. Partially because they're they're kind of full on leaning into the like, yeah, we know we're kind of silly. I, we are sort of a film where subtlety goes to die. There's nothing <laughs> is zero subtle in this. There's nothing subtle about this film, but uh, it's probably the best one. Nice. 
and and it's it's again it was it was it was fun it was it was highly enjoyable um it was just kind of a nice fun popcorn summer popcorn flick uh you're they try to kind of put in some social commentary you know but um so that was a good time i recommend if you're going to theaters and you just want something kind of fun and light light that feels weird because it is dealing with certain themes but it also feels super light and silly that makes sense. Um, I also, I watched the first Fear Street movie. Oh, I did too. The sec, Yeah, one, and it's kind of cool what they're doing because they're releasing three films over three weeks. So by the time this episode releases, the second one will be out and we will probably have watched that one by then. That's true. Uh, what did you think of the first one? I'm, before I say what I think, what did you think? I thought it was... Um, and it's funny because I was going to bring it up on Creepy Critics Corner, too. So I feel like this Creepy Critics Corner is going to be a collaborative Creepy Critics Corner. Um, collaborative. Collaborative. Uh, I think it was good. Mm-hmm. Um, there are certain points where, like, I kind of was rolling my eyes because it really seemed, like, juvenile and, like, dumb. And the, the approach of, like, what their perspective was and how they were showcasing, it's a witch. But, like... At the same time, like I expected people to die as you do in in movies like this, but then the way that they do it and like say, oh, I don't want to give anything away. Also, by the way, I don't want to give any spoilers. Um, No spoilers, but uh, speaking generally, speaking generally, the way that it unfolded on the second half was just a little like anticlimactic for me. I don't know. That's that's just how I felt. What about you? What did you think? Were you? Well, are, were you a fan of the books? Because they're based on, I mean, there's a crap ton of these books. But were you ever a fan of the Fear Street series by R.L. Stein? I loved R.L. Stein, but I never read Fear Street. There were other books of R.L. Stein's that I read, just not Right. Those. I mean, R.L. Stein's a prolific writer, has yes. written a crap ton of, of teen-geared horror books. Right. Uh, yeah. I see. I liked it. It was very fun to me. It was very teenager. It was super it's teenager. meant to. Yeah, it's meant to appeal to a certain generation. But I also felt like they were leaning a little into. I mean, the fact that it takes place in the 90s. I think they were leaning into that nostalgia factor. Oh, to yeah. Both try to draw in a new audience and having it be very teen, but also your nostalgia audience who read the books when they were younger, who were alive in the 90s. And were like, oh, yeah, the 90s. Yay. Yeah. Um, I thought they were fun. I thought they tried really hard. I agree. But I very much enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, I'm kind of curious to see the other ones. I do wonder if this is something that would have been better served as a TV series instead of a movie. I think it would have been way better. Because I felt like better. there was a whole lot of story. Yes, I agree. I think it would have been way better as a TV series, and also I did want to shout out the music on it. I thought the music on it was great. I remember I was watching it and I was texting you like, "Ooh, oh, the music's yes. awesome." I'm having like some serious nostalgia. The soundtrack, oh yeah, the soundtrack was legit, absolutely. Uh, but I, I felt like. I mean, again, we still have two more movies to watch, but I felt like they're cramming a whole lot of story. There's a whole, there's a crap ton of these books. Would they have been better off making this a a series series as opposed to trying to do a trilogy of movies? Is their intention to 
release more movies if these movies do well or, or I don't know how Netflix gauges if something does well or not. But like, uh, no, it was a very good time. Um, and again, it was a lot of fun. I think if you're looking for something really fun to watch, it's bright. It's a little silly. It's funny. It's a little irreverent. Uh, this is a great movie for that. Yeah. I feel like we have to um, talk to a, another movie. I know you're already about to ask me, what have say, I been watching? So what have you been watching? Because we've sort of been talking about this. Because I held off on talking about this till you'd seen it. So I felt like, and also I owe our listeners an apology for not having watched The Conjuring. The devil made me do it to discuss during our exorcist episode or exorcism episode. I'm judging you friendship over. I mean, we're still recording, so I don't believe you. Uh, but damn it, <laughs> damn it, Gabby. Um, honestly, all right, Conjuring. We're gonna have the rest of this creepy critics corner literally just be about this because Kim would not stop telling me how many feelings she had, but she wouldn't tell me what the feelings were. I didn't want to spoil it, so we're gonna say it right now. Spoiler alert, we're going to talk about The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. If you don't want to hear about this, fast forward. If you do, then hang out. Please join us as we discuss the new Conjuring movie. So first, I'm just going to say this. I love the first Conjuring movie. I thought that that movie was sure. so well done and also so freaking scary. Like it was actually legitimately scary to me. I know I'm a little bit more sensitive to these things than you are though. So like, well, no, I, I'm a big James Wan fan as a director. I am a huge, huge fan of James Wan. I always have been. I think I appreciate a lot of how he does jump scares. I think he does jump squares. <laughs> Wow. I think he just... <gasps> What's oh my a God. jump square? <laughs> jump, type of square thing. You swing your partner, does he do? I think he does jump scares very well. Uh, and he did... Uh, the first Conjuring, he did the second Conjuring um, as a director. <laughs> I, well, no, I mean, again, I think it was very obvious that he did not direct this movie. Yes, I would agree. And I think that that's part of why I liked the first two Conjuring movies so much was the yeah. style that it was done and just the approach. The, the, the director of Conjuring Devil Made Me Do It is a man named um, Michael Chavez. And Michael Chavez also directed The Curse of La Llorona, oh, which is in that. the Conjuring universe. And eh, you're fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I, I saw it in theaters. It was fine. There sure. was nothing remarkable about it. I didn't particularly like it. I didn't particularly dislike it because there was really nothing remarkable about it. It was so generic, generic and tame. Mm. It wasn't interesting, bad or interesting, good. It was just it just kind of happened, which I feel a little bit with this movie that um, in some ways it was taking really seriously that idea that with each sequel, you need to elevate. You need to oh, for sure. uh, make more. It was trying real hard. Yeah. But I think what was lost in that trying was the story. <laughs> oh, I fully agree. Because I feel like there was so much to work with with this story. And I knew a little bit about yeah. it going into this. Honestly, like, 
Kim and I talked about, I'm talking to our audience now, not you, Kim. Uh, Kim and I talked about potentially covering the story about, you know, the devil made me do it. Like that entire exorcism that this movie is based on, but we know that everyone and their mother is covering that right now. So we chose to go a different route, Right, but I, I knew about it. So it's knowing about it going into the movie there's so much to work with with the trial that I feel like they did not tap into in general. Um, and that could yeah. have been really interesting that um, they just chose the, to not show. The case didn't need the extra that was sort of added no. to it. If they had played it straight, huh? I mean... Or more like like the the first Conjuring movie, you know. Obviously, they embellish things. They the ending, none of that actually happened. But they have to make things interesting. They yeah, have to make it movie. dramatic. I get that. But they didn't need to escalate the way they did, and the way they escalated it made it feel really silly. And I will say, and I don't really want to get into the details. This is something if you're interested in to Google it because I don't kind of want to go there. But it was unfortunate timing given some of the things that have been coming out about Ed Warren. Yeah. Some of the accusations, some of the possible uh, sexual misconduct in which he was accused. And again, uh, listeners, if you're interested, you've got Google. Google it. There have been some things that, again, timing was unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on top of that, I think that there, I, I think of this movie like an overwrought version of what was actually happening. Like they took it and just yeah. elaborated on it so much that like the whole title of being based on a true story is in like air quotes. Like it literally well, feels like it's you look so at the real story. Overdone. Yeah. And you're like, oh, there was a lot of stuff they left out that again is interesting. Right. They didn't that was my need point. to leave this out. Yeah. Um, I will say. Part of, of, for me, part of what has always sold these movies, though, they've always cast them extremely well. Patrick Wilson and and Vera Farmiga, like, they are exceptional at their versions of Ed Warren and Lorraine Warren. Yeah. And I think they are portraying very fictionalized characters. 100%. And looking at them, yeah, looking at them purely as these fictionalized versions... Of these real life people, I like the fictionalized versions a lot. The real life Warrens, there's some problematic things about them. Again, y- y'all got Google, go for it. Um, I think they cast very well. You have a very strong stable of actors in all of the films. Yeah. Who are willing to sell it. So even if I have issues with the storytelling, the movies, the whatever you have actors who are 100% there and committed and doing their job to sell these films. For sure. And I think the one thing that I I really disliked about it though, I'm just going to say this is how they made it about love in the end. I was just like, really barf. Like this is not the time or the place for this. Like, I don't like it. I don't know if I mean, you liked it. I just really was like, wow, the, the resolve of an exorcism is because of love. For me, the again, for me, part of why that became problematic is if these were fictional characters, I wouldn't have cared. Given some of the revelations that have happened about the true history of, of, of the Warrens, it just, 
was a little icky to me. It rubbed me the wrong way. Um, Whereas if these were completely fictional people, I would have been like, "Uh, okay, sure. Yeah, sure. Love. Yeah. Without love. Awesome. Even then, though, I would have had a problem with it. Like, personally. This is, again, just my opinion. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, when you're Um, dealing with horror like that and, like, a... a exorcism and all that stuff involved in this trying to make it into a love story seems out of place to me what i will say though it has been well established in the conjuring movies their love story has been a huge part of the movies their relationship their marriage for sure has always been an underlying theme so i I don't think i was as bothered by that but it's not just them there's other characters that have that the other characters and that that i think when you see the double whammy of it is when for too me much it, love was, for it was too much. It just it it was almost like you just tried to do too much. Again, it's like an overwrought film. There was too oh, much of everything. It's stuffed full of a lot of. Oh my story. gosh, the fat yeah. like dead man that kept coming after them. I was like, is this supposed to be Ooh. comedic? Like I don't know. It if made I'm me think of be laughing at this or not. There's a scene in the new scary stories to tell in the dark that it made me kind of flash back to. But no, it was just it was. It was not well executed. Again, it missed. I missed James Wan in this movie. That being said, the cast commits. The cast full on says yes and. So I, I give them props for that. I love the cast. I, I love Patrick Wilson. Yeah. I do. Uh, I, I love Vera Farmiga. Um, uh, they sell it. it. Is it the worst thing I've ever seen? Absolutely not. Is it? A good conjuring movie? No. I think that's what the moral of the story is. It's like, <laughs> all right, we just did a deep dive where we just reiterated, is this a good conjuring movie? No. Cool. No. All right. <laughs> moving on. Cool. So basically <laughs> that's our creepy critics corner. Yeah. <laughs> there you wondering. go. There, there you go, friends. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. If you want to check us out on any social media, it is Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. If you would like to check out our Patreon. It is Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. There's some fun stuff on there. Uh, We love to be able to support you just as much as you guys support us. We have some fun stuff lined up for you in the upcoming months that we're really excited to share. Um, And stay tuned for that. If you like what you hear, make sure that you subscribe to um, our podcast, however you listen to it through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, what have you. And please make sure to go over to Apple Podcasts if you use it. Give us a rating and a review. We'd really, really, really appreciate appreciate that. And um, we also have a website. It is ghoulishtendencies.com. All of our show notes, all of our social meds, uh, everything about our podcast is on there. And we look forward to hearing from y'all on Instagram, Facebook, what have you, Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. But thank you so much for listening and stay, stay spooky. spooky.